0: Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy Jalen.
1: What's up everybody?
0: This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our NBA Offseason Winners and Losers. So Jalen and I picked two teams each, two winners and two losers for this episode. So Jalen, who is one winner that you have for the
1: NBA Offseason? So I think for me, man, as the biggest KD fan on the podcast, which is crazy to say, because honestly, both of us have just praised that man too much um, over the last couple of months and, you know, over time. I think Brooklyn, man, they have put themselves in a really great position so far with what they did during the draft and on top of the fact of being able to bring back Joe Harris. Um, I think that the money that they got, that he got, you know, four years, 80 mil, like we're talking about a guy who definitely got retained for his shooting ability. But this is a guy, Joe Harris, who can also take the ball off the dribble, create. Um, he's a guy who, I mean, at bare minimum, he's definitely going to be a bench scoring guard for them at the, the highest um extent he could be their starting two guard. But I think the main thing, too, is, bro, they got Landry Shaman, who I thought they were actually acquiring as a contingency plan if they couldn't get a guy like Joe Harris retained, and they were able to get a guy with crazy defensive upside in Reggie Perry at 57. So I think that the biggest thing for them is when you really sit there and look at what they have going for them right now, um, they haven't done anything drastic in terms of moving on from Spencer Didwitty, moving on from Karis Lavert. Jared Allen is still on the team. I feel like they addressed a a forward defensive outlook that they still kind of needed by getting a guy like Reggie Perry. And they just upped the shooting because bringing back Joe Harris completely helps in that department. But bringing in a guy like Landry Shaman, who was actually relatively promising, not this past year, but the year before the year prior, when the Clippers were kind of like on the uptick as the eighth seed against Golden State, where the Clippers had a lot of foreseeable out, um, a lot of promising output and, uh, and outlook on Landry Shaman in terms of what he could develop into based on the way he played defensively and as a shooter against Golden State in that series. I think that's something that's transferable, especially if his role is condensed to being just like a 3 and D2 guard. So if you tell me you get increased shooting, defensive upside, and you know that you're getting a guy like KD, um, KD back healthy, and of course Kyrie as well, and you haven't moved off of any of your other big pieces yet, Um, You haven't blown off your pivot despite all the rumors being thrown out about um, James Harden. I think that right now they have been able to maintain a certain type of level-headed focus where they've been able to improve without doing anything too drastic. So I think Brooklyn is definitely one of the top five teams to really jump off the page this offseason.
0: So you mentioned a team that did not have a lot of drastic moves. But I want to mention a team that did make a lot of drastic moves, the Philadelphia 76ers. I thought they had a great draft. They drafted Tyrese Maxey with the 21st overall pick, who's a great scorer, able to play both guard positions. He's a solid defender. He can make an impact either starting or coming off the bench. They drafted Isaiah Joe, great high-volume three-point shooter. And then they drafted Paul Reed. Now, how Paul Reed fell to the 59th overall pick is beyond me. But I'm glad that Philadelphia was able to pick up Paul Reed because he has a promising three-point shot. He shot over 40% from three. And he's also shooting well from the line, which means he's able to draw fouls. And when he gets to the line, he's efficient. And he also has a good shot selection. He hasn't tried to force a lot of shots. I think also when you look at what they did in the offseason as well as some of the moves that they made. Jalen, you and I mentioned that they needed to dump Al Horford's contract And they did it in the best way possible because they also ended up picking up a guard and Danny Green. So they needed guard help and then they got it while also trying to get rid of Al Horford's contract. So they traded Al Horford and then they ended up getting Danny Green. So I thought that was huge for them as well. And then you also mentioned the fact that they got Seth Curry for Josh Richardson. I think Seth Curry is a valuable rotational player coming off the bench, especially with the things he's done for Dallas. I think that he's a valuable contributor. And I think when you see in terms of how Seth Curry fits into the offensive scheme for Philadelphia, I think he's a much more valuable contributor than Josh Richardson was.
1: Yeah, man, I think that's a great place to pick up. And it's cool that we both pick Eastern Conference teams. So we're gonna try to to stick on that for a little while um, before we move on to our other two teams. I think with Philly, right, I think the biggest thing is that they identified not only their biggest holes, but they also, I think they figured out what kind of play style they might end up presenting us this upcoming season let's let's be real I think josh I think Josh Richardson was asked to do a lot more than what he actually is quote unquote capable of doing. I think Josh is a guy who when we played for Miami, he wasn't asked to be a b- primary ball handler or facilitator or shot creator. He was a guy who was asked to be a spot up three point shooter and play elite defense on on ones and twos That was his thing. I think that's exactly what you're going to ask him to do um for the Mavericks, and I think the Mavericks when that when that trade. Um, significantly as well, because yes, losing out on the shooting of, of Seth Curry is significant. We're talking about one of the highest percentage uh, shooters in the league. I think literally only be got behind a guy like Steve Kerr, I think, in terms of the the shooting percentage from that distance. But at the same time, we're talking about positional fit. I think Josh Richardson next to Luka, Luka Doncic actually helps in terms of their Two-way ability in terms of the fact that Josh Richardson is going to be able to cover cover up for some of Luca's def- um, uh deficiencies defensively. I think the other thing is you have to look at exactly what they did, right? The Al Horford contract, me and you had discussed this on a previous podcast that we thought it was practically impossible to do, but we thought it was critical to do. We thought it was either him or Tobias, and we both kind of agreed that if they had to pick one, Al Horford's the odd man out because he's the one that fits the least with Joel Embiid inside. Um, considering the circumstances. We also kind of agreed that if any drastic James Harden trade exchanges would take place, that Ben Simmons would probably be the guy in the mix and you would want to keep a guy like Embiid. So you can't have a guy like Al Horford next to him impeding all of that on top of the fact that now you're moving on from a generational passing talent like Ben Simmons for a ball-dominant scoring guard like James Harden. So I think that they addressed that accordingly and also kind of built the we made this joke about the Pelicans, but I think that I think that Philly might have actually adopted the the old Dwight Howard um inside out game of now having Joel Embiid in the middle and having guys like Seth Curry, Danny Green, getting a guy like Tyrese Maxey to be a scorer off the bench. um, I still think Ben Simmons is in question to potentially be moved. And if it's for a guy like Harden, I do think that that's kind of debatable on whether or not that's actually a, a bad play. Cause I honestly think it's, it's better than certain people think I think getting James Harden fits their play style a lot more than keeping a guy like Ben Simmons just strictly off of upside. So I think Philly, man, I think they decided to finally figure out what their identity is around this offseason. And I mean, Daryl Morey, shout out to being executive the year before the season started. Like, he did his thing. He came in and fleeced the Rockets by leaving them high and dry and made Philly better overnight. I think Elton Brand has to take that man to dinner a couple of times this month before it's all said and done.
0: I agree, and I think that with all the things that – Philadelphia was not able to do last year. I mean, they were, they were heavily criticized early in the season because their record, their record was not as good as the team was. I thought the team was, was at best, the third best team in the East. And the record showed that you know, they, they weren't playing as well as they would have liked, and they had some problems on the offensive side. And I think Daryl Morey did his job, and he, he fixed a lot of the offensive issues that Philadelphia was having. But moving on to the second winner in the, uh, for the NBA's offseason. And I don't know about you, Jalen, but I think a winner has to be Detroit. The, the Detroit Pistons are definitely a winner. Now, keep in mind, they did a lot in the draft. With the seventh overall pick, we both believe that they should, like, they, they should have selected Killian Hayes. And they selected Killian Hayes. I thought he a great option. And I'm glad that he was able to, that he was available at seven for the Pistons to pick up. Now also with the 16th overall pick, they also were able to grab Isaiah Stewart after he was first dealt to the Rockets. That's huge in terms of front court help. Um, I also believe, and I'm also glad that they were able to get Sadiq Bay who was originally drafted by the Nets and then he was dealt to the Clippers and then he ended up on the Pistons. That's a great wing player to have, considering that he also it can shoot threes and play defense, or and, and is a solid defender. I think that it's huge for the for the Pistons to be able to grab a guy like Sadiq Bay. And then, of course, we talk about you know Saban Lee, who was uh, tra- who was traded to the Pistons um, via the Jazz. But then we look at. Um, we look at the free agency. They make a lot of high caliber moves in free agency. Um, but getting a guy like Jeremy Grant from the, from the Denver nuggets, given what he did in the playoffs for them, that's huge. And it comes as a shock considering that he chose the Pistons to sign with when Denver gave him the exact same offer. We were talking about this before the episode started um, Jeremy Grant received the exact same offer from the Pistons, and went to Detroit. And then they were also able to pick up his teammate um, Mason Plumlee, and then they also picked up uh, Jahlil Okafor in free agency. So, uh, not a lot of high caliber names, but I, I I have to say that Detroit definitely is a winner in the NBA offseason.
1: Okay, so to play devil's advocate, though, because this is this is where um I actually kind of want to stir the conversation more in terms of talking about not necessarily just how teams won, but what the implications of the winning is, right? So, coming into this, when I was thinking about the Pistons as a potential winner, I, I felt like I couldn't give it to them because of the fact that their quote unquote emotional high, right, of the NBA draft, getting a guy like Killian Hayes early on, getting a guy like Isaiah Stewart. Sadiq Bay, even Saban Lee, like what what felt like a a key theme to me, right, was they tried to get quote unquote quote unquote blue chip prospects. They tried to get guys that were high character, still had um high motor, great ability um to you know be an overall contributor on both sides of the floor. I feel like Killian Hayes is a guy who is going to be a net negative defensively early, but he has the tools that I feel like instinctual, instinctually he's going to be a great team defender. Defender Isaiah Stewart was known for his physicality inside the paint. I think he was actually the, um, the bright spot for the Washington team, despite the fact that Jaden McDaniels was always a fascinating prospect the entire time while they were on the team. Isaiah Stewart was actually one of the guys that soaked up a lot more of the spotlight. Sadiq Bey is a guy from Villanova that honestly... Is the Swiss Army Knife tool, tool, uh, has the Swift Army Knife toolbox in this draft. I think he was one of the guys that is the most potential Draymond Green esque without necessarily the same defensive tenacity that a guy like Draymond has. Saban Lee was a guy who literally played um, behind a guy in Aaron Neesmith and took over the team for Vanderbilt after Aaron Neesmith went down. And I mean, he's an aggressive finisher. Um, good size, likes to attack the paint. He's a guy who who loves drawing contact. Like This is a team that can be extremely physical inside, and they're a team that can play with a lot of pace. And I felt like they did something really good in terms of trying to make like a culture move, right, with the way they drafted. And then you you make a complete like 180 turn by making signings where I felt like you overpaid for a guy like Mason Plumley, who, yes, I understand is a veteran presence, but what does, what does Mason Plumley truly provide you besides a backup center role? And a guy like Jeremy Grant, who I believe honestly only turned down the money for Denver because he thought he was better than who he actually is. I think he had one or two games individually during the playoffs where he actually was able to function as a true shot creator. At his position, and I think the fact that he's got to see little spurts of his own true development at a a high level and really play big minutes for that Denver team in pursuit to you know a western conference uh championship appearance, which was which was you know the goal i mean this is a team that I feel like. As well as they drafted, they overpaid and, and, and without really a great explanation as to why. I mean, Jeremy Grant is a guy who I think he turned down the money simply because he thinks that he's going to command more shots and command more of a bigger role than the fourth best player on the team role he was enacted as um, for the Denver Nuggets, which, I mean, to a certain extent, one could probably agree that that could be the case. But is having Jeremy Grant as a second or third option rather than a fourth option really viable for an Eastern Conference team like the Detroit Pistons that's trying to build up something? Like, you have to wonder whether or not that move actually makes any sense. So it's like, as much as I wanted to call them winners, I felt like... Their draft was, and I said this before the podcast started actually when we first discussed it, their draft was like B plus A minus level because I felt like they they I felt like getting Precious Achua um instead of Isaiah Stewart would have back actually been a little bit better of a uh selection at that point. Precious Achua still actually fits really well with the Miami Heat. So I think he actually went to a better situation. But I think that either way, Isaiah Stewart was a good pickup. And then on the other end their free agency class is just like, what are you doing? You know what I mean?
0: Well, I, I have to agree with a lot of your points because at first I was thinking that they were going to rebuild. Um, I thought it was a very solid choice to get Killian Hayes and then also um, pick up Isaiah Stewart and Sadiq Bay in the draft. So I was thinking that th- those were great pickups and I, I was kind of, shocked to now also hear that they were signing Jeremy Grant, Mason Plumlee, and Jaleel Okafor. So that now gives me the impression of maybe they're not trying to rebuild and I think they're trying to possibly become a perennial playoff team, which makes no sense because this team at best is is the 10th seed in the East. And when you're getting a guy like, I would say Jeremy Grant, who who you're, you're saying that, yes, he's, he's the fourth best player on the Nuggets, which I agree, yes, he is the fourth best player on the Nuggets. But I feel like they're trying to d- – does he want to get a bigger role? Is that why he wanted to sign with Detroit? I, I just don't know considering that it looks like Killian Hayes is the primary ball handler and Blake Griffin is – I wouldn't say he's the number one option, but he's going to get some significant playing time. So at best, I think Jeremy Grant's going to be the third best player on this team, which I don't know why you would leave Denver, who is a perennial playoff contender. Like I would say Western conference finals contender in, in the West to go to a team in the East that is nowhere close to being the eighth seed, nowhere close to being the eighth best team in the East. And yet, I guess they believe they have a chance that they're going to contend. I don't know, Jalen. I think, I think there's – this, this is sort of a weird situation that Detroit's put themselves in because I believe they were rebuilding after this draft. And then when you sign Jeremy Grant, Mason Plumley, and Jalen Okafor, what does that tell you?
1: Right. And that's my thing because my biggest thing is if this is all about a culture shock to Detroit, then I completely understand it because you're bringing in a veteran presence and you still draft it extremely well. Like in terms of the draft, like I said, that was, a, that was a B plus A minus level draft class in terms of what they were able to acquire. I think there's little holes here and there where maybe they could have acquired a better prospect, but really the Isaiah Stewart versus Preston one is the only one that really pops off the page. And it's not really as bad as it you know, could come off as. So I really think that's a circumstance that, you know, is 50-50. But I think I think my biggest thing is paying those guys the way they were paid, the, the way they were compensated. It's like it almost felt as though they were overvaluing a veteran presence in terms of trying to build a true culture around the Pistons, which sometimes that kind of stuff is priceless, right? I mean we we're talking about an Atlanta Hawks team that Yes, Vince Carter is retired now, but I'm sure that a lot of the young guys on that team picked up a lot just from having a guy who was literally literally a 22-year vet around in the locker room and has – has faced all the ups and downs of being the best player on a championship contending team to a role player that was uh, delegated to or relegated to a role that was meant to still assist a championship level team, but not at the same level as before, even as much as being relegated to an even lesser role as a guy coming off the bench to produce for a team that is trying to become a playoff or a perennial playoff team. So I think that there's some value in having a veteran presence. You just wonder whether or not they overpaid for it. Now, Ryan, before I get to my other um, winner, um, I, think, I think we have to kind of touch on the, the, the entire East, right, in terms of just what we've seen overall because this is the this is the division that's been labeled the weak east and the this is LeBron's conference and you know things of that nature where the east has been relatively disrespected for a significant amount of time right has any of the movement that we have seen over the past 3 to 5 days including the draft do you feel like that it has helped the east significantly in terms of becoming a much more competitive league, or does it still feel like there's the top top four to five teams in the East and the other three are simply just top subs?
0: So I do believe that there are four solid contending teams in the East. Um, I would say with Milwaukee, with Toronto, with Philadelphia, with Miami, that's four of them already. Um, Brooklyn is a, is the fifth is the, a fifth team, is another team in the East that I believe is a contender. Boston? Boston as well, six. So you already have six teams in there. And the fact that you already have six teams that have a good chance to not only be perennial playoff contenders, but also go to the finals, like that's, that's significant considering it's been over 20 years since something like this has happened. I mean, Jordan – Ran the Eastern Conference pretty much his entire tenure there while he was in Chicago, with the exception of the, the two years that he was in retirement. But when you look at the East now, it's, it's gotten significantly better, and especially with this draft. I think that a lot of teams stood out to me. I think Philadelphia, of course, was the, the big winner. Brooklyn, even though they didn't make a lot of moves, um, they were able to get uh, – like you said, they were able to re-sign Joe Harris – they traded for Landry Shamet. They um, they drafted Reggie Perry with the fifty fifth overall pick. Um, so it, it, it's almost like less is more for a lot of teams. Um, Miami is another team. They didn't lose anyone significant. If anything, they flipped. If anything, they flipped um, the people who they were who they lost into better or above average players. I, I would say Avery Bradley is a huge pickup for Miami, considering that he was. He was the third best player on the Lakers, and um, I would think also getting a guy like Mo Harkless—that's a huge rotational piece to have on your team, considering the defensive upside that he's had throughout his career. Um, and then you, and then you get a guy like Precious Achua, um, definitely somebody that can back up Bam, possibly, uh, possibly complement uh, Bam Adebayo. So I feel like the East has gotten significantly better. And like I said, I just named six teams that are perennial playoff contenders, possibly finals contenders as well. And that's not even mentioning the fact that Atlanta has gotten significantly better by signing Danilo Gallinari and um, having a great draft in terms of getting guys like Anyeka and Kongwu with the sixth overall pick. So right there, that's seven teams. And then, of course, you have the toss-up for the eighth seed, which could go to anyone. Um, It could go to the Wizards. Uh, Chicago had a great draft, very surprising pick, though, with Patrick Williams at four. Um, I, I feel like the East is very wide open. I also think I also would say Charlotte, too, to a lesser degree, but also picking up LaMelo Ball, signing Gordon Hayward, still retaining the young core that they have with Devontae Graham, P.J. Washington, and Miles Bridges. I think right there I just named a lot of different teams that have made the East significantly better.
1: So let's, let's both do this exercise then, right, based off exactly what you just did. Because the fact that you named them all, I still think that the Wizards are in the mix for the fact that they still do have John Wall. I do still think that they're going to try to run it back with John Wall and Bradley Beal because I don't see any reason why they wouldn't attempt it, especially bringing a guy like Davis Breton's back. It just all kind of makes significant sense. They they signed a guy in Robin Lopez at the center position. Obviously, they already had Thomas Bryant brought in a guy in Cassius uh, Winston to be able to give them more depth at the um, point guard position, which was, like, much, much needed. And then throw on top of that that they might have potentially got the steal of the draft with getting Denny Avdia, who was projected as high as two, and they got him at nine. So – I think there's a lot of teams in the mix. So let's do this. Let's do this exercise real quick. Because I want to get into I want to get into my last winner. And then I want to, of course, finish off with who we think um is a team that may be a loser, but still has the chance to make this a winning offseason. So let's do this exercise for the Eastern Conference. Because the West, I feel like, is a little bit easier to kind of diagnose uh winners and losers because no team truly did much besides sidestep or maybe get slightly better. So let's do this exercise with the Eastern Conference. I don't, with all the teams that you named, seed them right now. If we had to go into the season, and we'll end up doing this as a separate episode with a little bit more explanation further down, but if you had to do it right now based on what you just saw, just simple recency bias, if you had to go seeds one through eight in terms of what you're projected one through eight for the playoffs next season would be, what would it look like? Well,
0: I would think my number one would be Brooklyn, simply mm-hmm. because Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, re-signing Joe Harris, getting Landry Sumit, still having Spencer Dinwiddie, still having Karis LeVert. I think this team is, is arguably the best team in the East. I would say the second best team is Milwaukee, considering they fulfilled a positional need with um, by, by getting Giroux Holiday from the Pelicans. I thought that was a great, a great deal. For the, for the Milwaukee Bucks to make, and you still have Dante DiVincenzo, DiVincenzo as well. Um, I would say the third best team would be Miami. Uh, I think they made – they didn't make a lot of moves that were significant, but I think still picking up a guy like Avery Bradley, empty I think Precious Achua, still having your young core with Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson and Bam Adebayo there. I think they are still a contender, considering they just went to the finals last year. I'd say number four is Boston. Still always a, a contending team in the East. Still have Kemba Walker. Um, you signed Jeff Teague. You actually got just, you got uh, Tristan Thompson as well, which is a huge, huge gain for them. Considering that, you know, the center position has not been, it has not been a, um, has not, has, has always been a like positional hole for them. Um, I would say number five is the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, you still have Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris. Um, you had a great draft, like we mentioned earlier. Uh, you get Danny Green. You, you dump the contract of Al Horford. Uh, you also get you also get Tyrese Maxey, Isaiah Joe, Paul Reed, great players coming out of the draft. I think Philadelphia is definitely, definitely a contender in the East. Um, I would say number six is Toronto because you were able to re-sign Fred Van Vliet. Um, The team hasn't gotten significantly better because you did lose Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka, two huge uh, pieces in your front court. But I still think, nonetheless, they are definitely a mix to be in the – a team to be in the playoffs. Number seven, I would say, is Atlanta. Atlanta got significantly better. Um, And, of course, you still have Trey Young. You signed Danilo Gallinari. You made a lot of moves in the offseason. You had a pretty good draft as well. Um, so I think, I think this is the time for Atlanta to really shine in the playoffs. And I think number eight is Charlotte. Uh, I mentioned this before as I believe that Charlotte is the breakout team in the East this year. Um, I think that with Devontae Graham, P.J. Washington, and Miles Bridges, you have a young core that you build this franchise around. Um, you also have LaMelo Ball with the third overall pick. Now, what happens with Terry Rozier is the big question going forward. Do you keep a guy like Terry Rozier, considering that you also now have Gordon Hayward? How much playing time does Devontae Graham get? Do you relegate him to the bench after he just had 18 points a game? I actually think that these eight teams are capable of not only making the playoffs, but having an impact in the playoffs as well.
1: So let's let's take everything that you just said and let's break it down based on the way the Eastern Conference shared up last season. So it was Bucks, Raptors, Celtics, Pacers, Heat, 76ers, and then the Nets and Magic. So let's put it in perspective like that, right? So based on your new lineup, the 76ers and the Nets got significantly better. The Heat marginally improved. The Celtics probably sidestepped a bit in terms of replacing Mainly, we're talking about replacing Enos Cantor with Tristan Thompson, which in certain respects can be considered as an upgrade, at least defensively, maybe not on the offensive end, but as a glass cleaner type, Tristan Thompson definitely helps them in terms of the rebounding department, which has been their biggest hole, as you mentioned beforehand. I think the other thing that you mentioned, though, is that the Raptors got significantly worse. I mean, talk about a team that was second and you had them around fifth, sixth. Like, that's a team that you see... Having a, having a drastic skid in the wrong direction despite signing back one of their what is hoped to be a, cornerstone, a corner, cornerstone piece to their franchise and a guy like Fred Van Vliet. Another thing to take into perspective is that you elevated two teams that were high in the lottery in terms of the Hornets and the, and the Hawks. I think that spells for a much improved Eastern Conference right like i think that genuinely for people who still are throwing out the weak east comments and things of that nature i think if we're going from it and not to say that that automatically dubs your perspective as correct but let's say from just your analysis itself it makes it seem as though the the eastern conference has improved significantly because two teams that finished 23 and 42 in the hornets and 20 and 47 in the hawks 10th seed and 14th seed in terms of the Eastern Conference, are significantly propelling themselves. You had the West. You had the the, uh, the Atlanta Hawks going from 14th all the way up to seven. I mean, it's a drastic improvement. And of course, we saw that through the signings: Rondo, Chris Dunn, Danilo Gallinari, potentially Bogdan Bogdanovich, who they've already it, Sent an offer sheet out to for the Kings to match. That is a team that has significantly got better in a short period of time. So. I think that the Eastern Conference as a whole is a winner. That was the, what the point of this exercise was, right? Is what I feel as though is from. I th- and I'm glad that I, I'm glad that through this you've actually been able to, to kind of help my point in the fact that. It does truly look like, although certain teams have skid here and there, I do feel like it has a lot to do with the fact that the rest of the conference has found a way to slightly improve. I think the Bulls are still slightly stagnant, and we have to see what their talent looks like as a collective, especially in terms of figuring out the lineup with Patrick Williams as a top four overall pick now. I think the Knicks are a team that are that did not hit nearly the way they probably would have hoped to in the draft. Um, I think OB Toppin is a great pickup, but I think that um, the new regime has still adopted a lot of old regime tactics, starting with picking up, you know, blue chip power forward prospects that kind of can just produce immediately, but do so at a position that's not necessarily as impactful I mean, outside of that, Pistons, Cavaliers, I think the Pistons are going to be interesting if they decide to go the young route, but they were not going to be considered to be a playoff team despite the fact that I think Blake Griffin is a great asset, but he's looking more like a great trade asset than a playoff caliber asset at this point. And the Cavaliers were a team that we knew was going to continue to be developing as it was, right? So two two or three of the teams in the Eastern Conference, we can genuinely say, we're going to be towards the bottom, but the magic are still in the mix. They didn't really improve, but I, I I think they definitely got worse, but they're not a team that's not necessarily bad. Again, they're always deemed as a team that just has too many starter starting caliber players. And of course this will be their second year with Markel Fultz and they got Cole Anthony in the draft, which I think would be pretty sweet. Um, And then the wizards, they get John Wall back. They re-signed Doves persons, They got a guy in Cassius Winston, all this stuff that I mentioned earlier. So like, We're talking about an Eastern Conference that could like legitimately go 12 deep. And this was a a conference that at one point, we probably couldn't go past four without kind of sighing at the rest of the conference because we kind of knew they were going to get booted out in the first round. It was just about how many games would it take to do it. So I think the Eastern Conference as a whole won. I, I really think that this, I think this raises the level of play across the conference all-in-one offseason despite the fact that no really crazy major names actually moved off the board
0: so you mentioned a lot of the teams that won let's talk about some teams that lost in the NBA offseason and Jalen I know you have a couple teams that you want to mention so Jalen who do you believe were the losers of the NBA offseason if there yeah. were any
1: Man, I mean, you know, I definitely think there were some. I, I, think, I think this offseason was actually a lot more productive than one would have presumed, right? Considering it wasn't the greatest offseason class. But, man, I mean, maybe this is – and this is a double whammy. I'm picking two teams, but their reasonings are very similar. It's the Rockets and the Warriors, man. And it's because they both are losing significant talent. Even if they choose to keep a guy like James Harden, keep a player like Russell Westbrook, you're keeping two, two, not one, two disgruntled superstars on a team that really ain't going anywhere, right? They're still a playoff caliber team with those two guys on the roster. They actually, it was confirmed earlier. I, I saw the the tweet actually while we were, While we're recording this, uh, DeMarcus Cousins also agreed to a one-year deal with the Rockets and they picked up Christian Wood. So they, it's like they've marginally improved in the terms of if their roster were happy, right? then getting a guy like DeMarcus Cousins, bringing in a guy like Christian Wood doesn't look like that bad of a pick. It doesn't look like that bad of signings to make. But when you have the rear view mirror of looking behind you and knowing that at some point you're going to have to move on from these guys, You don't have to do it on their their accord, right? But but it's something that I don't think you're going to be able to avoid. I don't think you're going to be able to avoid the fact that Eric Gordon isn't happy with his role. I don't think you're going to be able to avoid the fact that P.J. Tucker is knocking on your front door wondering what's up with his contract situation. I mean, and you moved on from Robert Covington, which I felt like was probably the most stable piece on your franchise at the time. So... The Rockets are in a really weird spot, and they didn't even make any play with the 16th overall pick. They moved it, which I felt like was their only chance to actually get better in a young rebuilding sense. And they didn't even take their chance on it. And then, of course, a team like Golden State, I think they covered it up by getting a guy like James Wiseman and being able to use the mid-level exception trade uh, packaging to be able to get a guy like Kelly Oubre to fill the slot of a Clay Thompson, but. Think about what I just said. Feel feel the slot of a Clay Thompson? Like, can you actually do that? We're talking about one of the most elite two-way players in the league, if not probably the best two-way guard in the NBA today. And, unfortunately, he's back on the show for another entire year, which is like only, you know, it's only diminishing how much more time we have seeing these guys in their prime. And the Splash Brothers are a very – um, great treat to watch as a basketball team. I think Kelly Oubre is going to be a great fill-in piece. I think Eric Pascal in season two is going to be a really good step in. And I think that James Wiseman is going to have a little bit more um on his shoulders and a little bit more of a chance to really develop as a pick and roll partner for a guy in Steph Curry. But this is a team that with Clay Thompson, if it was with Clay Thompson and using the mid-level exception as a part of a way to go about acquiring a guy in Kelly Oubre, now you got, something, you got something super scary. But when you're talking about it being in a circumstances where you're getting it out of the fact that it's a necessity because you lost Clay Thompson, I mean, man, you know what I mean? They were a team that I had atop the top three teams in, in the league to win the championship this next season. And now I think they, they'd be just proud enough to make the playoffs considering that how big of a roster hit that is in a Western Conference that is not getting any easier.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to talk about the Rockets a lot, considering that they were one of my losers, and you've touched on every point that I was going to touch on. Um, James Harden and Russell Westbrook, they have two disgruntled – they're two disgruntled stars on the on the Rockets, and it looks like they're going to start the season on uh, Houston if a trade does not work out. Um, so I, I think – look, for all the points that you mentioned, I think there's a chance that Eric Gordon wants to be traded – I think PJ Tucker probably wants to be traded. The URA traded Robert Covington to an already stacked Portland team, and they just got better by adding a guy like Robert Covington. So I think what's next is that they try to rebuild. I think they, they have to trade away James Harden and Russell Westbrook. I think they trade away PJ Tucker. I think Eric Gordon probably gets traded to a team like Utah that could really use his help. Um, but I think that it's it's just for all the reasons that you that you named. Um, I would also say another loser would be the Washington Wizards, and it's unfortunate that I say that, but the fact of the matter is that you only got Denny Avdia, and I understand that this lineup is going to look very significantly better than last year considering you factor in that John Wall is going to be healthy. Uh, Bradley Beal is, in, is going to be in that lineup as well. Thomas Bryant is a serviceable center. Um, I think also when you when you had uh, Rui Hachimura, that's a that's a very good starting that's a very good starting five for the uh, Washington Wizards. But the fact is, we've heard rumors that John Wall wants out. Um, there's a chance that Russell Westbrook might head to Washington for John Wall. Um, but honestly, I don't think outside outside of getting at out Denny I don't think the Wizards really improved.
1: Yeah man that one really hurts because it's one of those things where I felt like this could have been a really significant offseason for them and I think the bigger thing about it is just the fact that you know they're in a situation right now where all of the turmoil around trading not trading John Wall is really hurting this franchise initially and I I hope That, I mean, it was said that Tommy Shepard told reporters that there was no trade request put through and that they don't have any intentions of trading a guy like John Wall. There's been talks for two years that John Wall and Bradley Beal have wanted to try to run it back with each other. Um, but man, I, I, I gotta I gotta agree. I think Denny Avdia is a great pickup. Um, let's not sleep on Cassius Winston now. We talked about him way too much during the draft series to act as though he wasn't at least a a, a a diligent pickup in the second round. Um, but my main thing is, man, now seeing this news about uh Boogie Cousins, man, I mean they got the Houston Rockets got him for the mid-level exception. You mean to tell me we couldn't get. We couldn't re- we couldn't reunite the Kentucky Bros with John Wall and and Boogie Cousins using the mid level using some kind of you know mid level exception or waving one of our um one of our guards off the bench that really doesn't get a lot of playing time to try to work in being able to get a guy like Demarcus Cousins for the cheap and instead settling for our 2020 2021, 2020 2021 version of Martian Gortat in in Robin Lopez like it just sounds like we settled or something when you look at what took place with DeMarcus Cousins you just wonder like why wasn't that a play for us was it something financially was it the ideal that it just wouldn't work out was it too much of a risk for the fact that he got injured again in terms of his ACL concern I don't really know, but we're seeing that the Houston Rockets who really have no reason to be going after a guy like him in the first place, especially after getting a guy like Christian Wood on the team, picking up a guy like Boogie Cousins as a flyer mod like that, you wonder why the Wizards wouldn't have tried to put themselves in a position like that, especially if you're trying to keep a guy like John Wall happy while also bringing in a significant talent cuz when when healthy, we both know that Boogie Cousins is within the top 5 at his position. So I got to agree with you. I hate it. I'm repping the squad right now. But at the same time, it's like, man, that, that that signing is what really makes me agree with you the most. And it's weird that it dropped during the podcast, but it's a lot harder to argue against it when that's what you see was able to be used to acquire a guy like Boogie Cousins into a team that didn't really need him nearly as much as a team like the Wizards who, besides Thomas Bryant, really did need some center help with the fact that the main guy we were leaning on behind that was a guy in Yan Mahimi and that's not really promising and knowing that now instead we have a Robin Lopez who was relatively productive for the uh, for the Milwaukee Bucks last season it's good but i think getting boogie cousins with john wall again could have been great so i agree it sucks <laughs>
0: So transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, who do you believe are the winners and losers of the NBA offseason? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast, of course. Make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get our podcast. We'll see you guys next episode.
1: Peace.